Welcome to the No Spin Dash Zone. <laughs> okay. Today we're covering oh, okay. Bog <laughs> Today we're covering Bogtie 3. I'm Steven. The No the No Sabata does zone. Welcome to the No Spin Dash Zone. I'm Steven. I'm Isaiah. I'm a Charlie. We're doing Bogtie 3 today. The Japanese name is Shin Bokuru no Tayo, something something Sabata. But the English translation that most people use is Bogtie 3 Sabata's counterattack. He's tired of being in the shadows. He's gonna fuck up Django's shit. That's damn right. He was attacked, and now he is counterattacking. Yeah, it's especially weird, that name, because going in, I kind of assumed that, like, he would be a good guy fighting against the bad guys. Yeah. But in reality, he just, like, joined them again, which Honestly, is not really a Honestly, I was expecting us to, like, play as him instead of Django. Well, the yeah. game, I mean, the game starts with you playing as him like, defending himself against the bad guys, and then it cuts immediately to him just being a bad guy. Yeah. Which confused me for a long time. Yeah, there's really no counterattacking, unless there's, like, at the very end of the game he has a counterattack, which would be cool, but oh, whatever. Boktai 3 kind of functions a lot more similarly to the first Boktai than the second one, and it carries over some mechanics. For example, you can still do melee attacks in this game, but they've consolidated the three different weapon types into one, and you can't punch anymore yeah i don't think you can punch i mean i forgot about punching altogether yeah, yeah punching is really a mechanic that like was barely even in boktai 2 actually punching is pretty good if you have a high attack stat because of how fast you can attack so if you're fighting a stationary mm. enemy you can deal a lot of damage at once it's kind of like being a monk from final fantasy <laughs> okay that's a high level play though yeah anyway <laughs> i was reading strategies for boktai 2 because i was really interested in it oh that's cool and i found out about that but this game consolidates the weapons, so now you only have swords, but they still do different attack styles. So, like, there's a swing, a thrust, and an overhead swing, like a smashing type thing. Right. You can't put, like, magic attacks to it, like, at least not with... I mean, Zazie later kind of implies that you break the soul of Vs at the end of Boktai 2. Yeah. You have your solar gun back, so that's what you do the majority of your elemental attacks, but... Through forging with accessories, you could probably get enchanted weapons, right? Well, the way it works is that you can get weapons that deal elemental damage. Like, if you're fighting a mummy and you have a fire sword, you can light them on fire with your sword. But you can never do the puzzle mechanics with it, mm, and you can't... That's unfortunate. You can't kill skeletons with them, so it feels kind oh, of lackluster. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, skeletons can only... Uh, this was true in, in the first two games as well. Skeletons there, can I don't think there are skeletons in the first game. Well, in the second game, in that case. Yeah. It can only be killed uh, with elemental attacks, otherwise they just turn into a skull, and then that skull will later come back. Yeah. Yeah, and that's not super important in Boktai 2, but yeah. in Boktai 3, there are specific missions where you have to kill all the enemies, and knocking them out that way doesn't count as killing them, so you have to use the gun. But for the most part, you can use the weapon without any issues. You can kill ghouls and spiders and all that business with it. And it's kind of neat, because the weapons in this game have little individual combos. So in the last game, you would swing and then have to wait for a second, and then you could swing again. And depending on if you were using a hammer, a sword, or a staff, it would be a different kind of attack. So it would be like a swing with the sword, it would be a poke with the staff, or it would be a overhead slam type thing with a hammer. In this game, each of the weapons have kind of like a mix of those things. So you might get a sword that, like, swings twice and then does an overhead, or you might get a rapier where you, like, stab twice and then do a swing, like, a long ways swing. And it's kind of neat to experiment with that kind of stuff. And you can also yeah, you get, get a 
two-handed buster sword or something. Yes, you do. And you can also get weapons later on in the game that let you attack faster. So not only are you doing more damage because they're better weapons, but you can deal more damage in succession. So you can stab something in the back really quick three times and get those critical hits in. Yeah, it feels like the close-range combat, and even kind of the long-range combat, is is more complex in this game than in previous games. Because even, like, the differences aren't as large as it was in Boktai 2, where there, there were three different weapon types. There are more total differences, you know? Because each weapon kind of behaves differently. I liked the sort of specificity of the different weapon types in the last game, especially yeah. for puzzles, but even in combat, I think it was kind of fun to decide whether or not you wanted to use spears or slow weapons, because in this game, the thrust weapons don't go as far as the spear did previously. Yeah. It's still a little bit further, but it's not as interesting a difference, I think. Yeah, I, I tend to, in Boktai 2, I tended to switch weapons depending on what I was fighting, and in Boktai 3, it's usually I'm deciding between using a gun or using the one sword that I like to use because I don't want to have right. to learn the other weapons. Well, and that's the thing. This game has the system where you can... I think it's L that you hold? Or is it select that you it's, hold? It's select. Yeah, you, you hold select, and then you can hit L, R, or... Or is it L, A, and B? It's, it's some... So it's like R to switch weapons, L to switch, like, weird miscellaneous stuff, and then B to switch your element. Yeah. Yeah. So you can switch between gun frames much easier now, and the, all the other gun parts are removed. You don't have grenades or the battery anymore, but the gun and the, the lenses are back. And you can use that to kind of approach different fights by using different bullet types or just switch back to your sword. But like Isaiah said, you usually only use one kind of sword, so the melee is not as complex as it used to be. Yeah. But in return, you have much better gunplay mechanics, more or less. Oh, yeah. The gun frames are... A lot more interesting than they were in Boktai 1? Yes. Well, I don't know. I don't think they're more interesting. I think it's just you're more encouraged to use them because it's not as inconvenient. Yeah. But they do have slightly different bullet types and stuff, so... Yeah. Yeah. I'm just glad that the customization isn't as weird and complex as it was in Boktai 1. Yeah, for sure. It feels much more efficient. And also the fact that you can, like, select what's on your scroll wheel by just equipping different stuff. So if you want to use three different frames all the time, you can have those three equipped. Is it, like, a maximum of four like it was in Boktai 2? I think you can equip all of them. It's a max... I, I believe the tutorial said it's a max of eight per thing you can equip. So you can equip eight different gun frames, but also eight different swords. So that menu will have 16 things in it. Yeah, I would never had more than three of each equipped at yeah, any given time. for sure. Mm. I only really had the one sword equipped, and the rest were frames. I always had a thrust sword and a swing sword equipped. Mm -hmm. In case I needed to fight bats for some reason. <laughs> Dude, bats, every time bats and crows, or maybe it's ravens, doesn't matter. They're the thing that's like, alright, time to get out my sword, because this gun is going to be useless against them. Yeah, it's... It's a little wonky. I mean, but I, I like it, because it, it makes each weapon useful, situationally. The other thing that's left over from Boktai 2 is the level-up system, the RPG-style level-up system. Yeah. But the stats are consolidated a little bit, or I guess they just removed the speed stat altogether, and you only yeah. have the strength, HP, and... What do they call it? It's energy, right? Yeah. Something like that. It's like that. your MP stat. 
they I think they also removed defense as well, a speed, concept, except speed from, is defense. Yeah. So. But yeah, you can't level up to increase your defense anymore. Yeah, you can only just equip the endurance items, and even those, I think they might just boost your health total. It's a weird process. Ooh, I don't know. Yeah, the other thing is, um, I mean, in Boktai 2, because you had four stats, you would get three stat points every level. And now that you have three stats, you get two stat points every level. Yes. Which just, you know, like roughly scaling the amount of strength you can gain per level. Yeah, I did, however, find that the weapons... I, in this game, they still have the forging minigame and everything, so you upgrade weapons. But... I found that upgrading my weapon had a much greater impact on my damage output than just upgrading my attack stat. Yeah. And I eventually just started building my character to be even all the way through, and I didn't find that I was surviving particularly longer, so it felt like the level-up system was a little less purposeful in this game. And you also mm -hmm. just get a ton of these cards, like the red cards, and I think they were in the last game too, but you get more of them here. You get a lot yeah. of them. Yeah, some of them just boost your stats by two points if they're a red card. There are green yeah. cards that do just random effects. Some of the stat boosters are even four points. Yeah, the, like, fortune ones? Yeah. Where it's, like, a random stat? And that's, I mean, that's just crazy. <laughs> but yeah, it's I, I do, it feels good to collect them every time. Yeah, those cards are also in the green one-time chests. They're usually found at the end of, like, a room. Yeah. Usually it's a room that, like, you didn't need to go to at all. Yeah, but sometimes they're just in like, the way, kind of. Other than that, I think that the only major change is that our overworld has been completely replaced by just a menu that takes you to the different shops, and then you exit that menu to view a world map where you can just go to individual dungeons. Oh, There's yeah. no more traversal at all, other than inside of dungeons. The, the town... I mean, you just have sort of a mini-map of the town that was in the second game. I do like that all of the things... All the places you can go to are in the same like, location on that map as they were in the second game. Generally. Except that your house replaces the smith, and the smith replaces the warehouse. Oh, yeah. And the warehouse yeah. is now just in your house. Like, a girl <laughs> just, like, a little girl just stays in your house with her cat and the dude that sold you coffins in the previous game. I guess they live with you because they are there all day and all night. Definitely a better, I mean, in the second game, too, a better way to phrase warehouse would have honestly just been refrigerator. Because, I mean, the things that can degrade over time don't while they're in there. So. Yeah, but also calling it a refrigerator would make it seem small. It would have also made a lot more sense that it was in your house. Also, where some warehouses have coolers. Like, it's not impossible. That's true. Like, there, there are, like, warehouse freezers that just hold, like, pounds and pounds of meat. Like, tons of meat. Like, a lot of meat. Yeah, I, I get it, Steven. Like, pigs all over the place. No, I, I understand. I get the picture. I understand. Like, meat hooks and everything? Charlie, please talk about accessories. <laughs> so, in town, I'm going to preface that in the story, Django loses his memory, so he doesn't remember any of the NPCs he met in Boktai 2. But Kid, right. the Afro man, sells you accessories, and... Accessories are just like equipable items. You can equip four for like different like body types. Like there's body armor. There's I don't really know. I haven't gotten all of them, so I can't like say what they are all. So you can help me out there. I mean, it's 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 Minecraft equipment. It's, it's like no, it's not. It's head, body, a trinket, and feet. Yeah. So there's that. 
Actually, that's more like Terraria. Yes, it's a lot more like Terraria. But yeah, you can buy them from Kid, and you can even use them to forge with weapons to give them like an elemental ability, as we mentioned earlier. Yeah, there's like a fire bandana specifically that if you use on a sword, yeah. gives you a fire sword. But, I mean, that's like the only new thing, because they just had body armor in the last game, but there's nothing really else that adds, I don't think. Yeah, something that I sort of wanted to point out about accessories is that like, a lot of the really good stat-boosting ones, ha like, come with a disadvantage. So, like, one that stuck out to me immediately was, like, the... I forget what they're called, but they're these boots that make a funny sound when you walk. But they increase your strength a lot. Yeah. And so I went a little bit wearing those, because I was like, alright, yeah, let's do it. And, you know, obviously, it alerts all the enemies to your position. But I thought it would just make stealthing harder. It makes it impossible. Everyone immediately yeah. knows where you are at all times. Because not only they make a funny sound like in game, there's a good sound design thing where you just squeak while you walk around, but yeah. also it's effectively like being on the noise floors permanently. Yeah. And so everyone just knows where you are and immediately like rushes you, which may increase your your strength, but I found it put me at a severe disadvantage in the combat department. I liked taking them off and putting them on contextually, like, for boss fights and stuff. Mmm. Yeah. Yeah, I find that there was also one one piece of equipment that I rolled with for, for the whole time I was playing, was something that increased your, your strength a lot. Uh, you can tell which stats I favor. But all of your food spoiled a lot faster. Yeah. And so that's been a fun run for me of, like, going through the game, eating food immediately after picking it up. And just having a nearly empty inventory. You're like a carnivorous murder man that is just super <laughs> yeah. buff and like grabbing the flesh off of the bodies that you leave in your path and just slamming down on it immediately. I murder a demon and then I steal its lunch. Yeah, basically. And it like, I, I think what's cool about the equipment is that you sort of can just choose your play style. Like with stuff like that. Because it's like, alright, so I have this strength but I have this weakness. So I can't do stealth now, that means that I'm just going to rush everybody all the time, and it's an extremely combat-focused, like, sort of thing. Yeah, and very few of them are just pure defense boosts. Like, it's not like armor. It really is accessories, the way they describe it, even though you have, like, a chest piece and leg piece and head piece. Yeah. Most of the head pieces are weird stuff like bandanas that just have effects that have nothing to do with your defense. And I like that a lot, because some of them just affect gameplay mechanics. Yeah. Which is a neat thing. Like, there's a raincoat that you can wear. So I have equipped a, a power wrist, which doubles the damage that I take when I'm using a sword. And so it just is like, this This makes me more powerful, but I do more. I get more damage dealt to me if I'm wearing this piece of equipment, so I'm more incentivized to stick to the gun, and that means that I'm using energy. But because I'm using energy, I'm going to eat my energy nuts before they spoil. Right. Well, there's also little ones, like, there are suits for cards, and each of the different suits boosts the damage that a certain kind of weapon attack does. Like, you can get, I think it's the clubs Yeah. that boosts your, like, bash damage, and the diamond that boosts your thrust damage. So I wore a diamond a lot and just didn't unequip the rapier. <laughs> And it's, I mean, it's its cool because it's sort of like, you sort of select your play style through what things that you're wearing, but at the same time, it also sort of feels like once you pick that stuff, you're very rarely going to change equipment the way that you change weapons all the time. 
Yeah. Well, and it's also like you burn the accessories to get better weapons, whereas you can't upgrade your accessories, really. Yeah. So it's like you, you generally, like even like enemies will drop accessories, but it, it's accessories that you can already buy from the shop most of the time. Well, I think it's I think it's actually vice versa. It's that every accessory you can buy from the shop drops, but there are some unique drop accessories. Yeah, but like it it sort of feels like very you don't get enough new equipment for you to really think about changing your equipment. Yeah, that also I think that changes the later you get in the game because how far did you guys get? I just got through the mountain boss, and I haven't done the the coffin part section yet i'm in the middle of the tree okay so i got to a dungeon after isaiah i think it's the fourth dungeon yeah you go to a dark town you go to a tree you go to a mountain and then you go to a pirate ship yeah and i'm in the middle of the pirate ship and like most of the enemies on that pirate ship drop a unique thing that can't be found elsewhere okay so like i'm getting pieces of armor from golems and stuff like that and I've got this headband that fills up the super gauge. This game has like a super gauge where as you deal damage, you fill up this meter. And then you can burn the meter to just do a ton of damage to one enemy, basically. It's essentially just like a boss fight button. Yeah. It's kind of like a limit break from Final Fantasy, if you're familiar with that. I think it's a little too, like... I mean, it builds up fairly quickly. Especially if you have this item that I had, which boosted the fill rate even more. <laughs> but, like, it just kind of makes bosses... Like, it, it just skips bosses, basically. Yeah. Which is kind of not fun. I didn't have too much... I like the boss artwork in this game, so just watching them move around for oh, a little bit yeah. and then killing them works for me. Yeah, I would say... I mean, I would also say that the, the boss that I skipped uh, was the least fun that I fought, which was the, the mountain boss. Yeah. I guess I, I I can spoil it for Charlie because we are on a podcast talking about it. I uh, also don't think... Charlie, you don't really plan on going back to this game, right? I might. Oh, okay. I cool. don't really care if you spoil it, though. Alright. Yeah, you fight Sabata. I mean, that's not really I a mean, you already you see... said that, like, before the call. <laughs> oh, okay. Never mind, then. Y you uh, also see Sabata get possessed by the vampire. Like, it was pretty clear that you were going to do something <laughs> yeah, with Sabata I just, in this game. I just didn't think it was going to be this soon, I guess. But I liked thematically the way the boss worked was it was two people with guns like trying to sneak up on each other to to shoot each other in the back. Yeah. But mechanically, I did not enjoy that. Yeah, the isometric makes it a real pain in the ass to get any shots off. And he does this weird teleport thing. Yeah. I like that phase one is him hunting you down and you trying to sneak up on him. And then phase two is you hunting him down and him trying to sneak up on you. And then phase three is just phase one again, but harder. And I like that conceptually, but it wasn't fun to play, so. Yeah, because you just can't do melee damage to him. If you try to approach him, he does the spin thing that you can do with your gun, and it just hits you, and you can't yeah. attack him like that. So you have to use the gun, and the gun is not great. Yeah. So, Charlie, what was your the most interesting accessory that you found? Uh, I didn't really find a lot. I just... I tried to use the elemental armor you get in a shop and try to forge into a sword, but I never did the forging minigame before, so I just screwed up horribly and didn't get the elemental to it. Oh, no. Yeah, I don't like that kind of wall that they have, like the skill wall to getting cool equipment. Yeah. I like the idea that equipment has durability and, like, the better you do, the more durability you get, but I wish the special effects were just attached to the weapon and not how well you did at the minigame, because the minigame is not easy. Yeah. Is it the same one as the, the second game? 
it's a little different. It's still just like mash the button to get a thing to where it needs to be, but in this case, like, it's hard to describe. I'm surprised you didn't do it at all. Yeah, I, I mean, I just kind of like didn't feel like it. Yeah, but you like dealing damage, so it weirded me out that you wouldn't approach that. <laughs> yeah, as, as a strength build, it is very weird that I didn't try to maximize that through equipment. But you also didn't get super far, so I guess it wasn't holding you back too much. But yeah, basically there is a bar that moves along the... Okay, so there's the same like arrow that we had from the last game where if you're on the arrow, you get a great, and if you're anywhere near the arrow, you get a good, and if you're super far away, you get a bad. Yeah. But in this case, it's like a meter that is building, and it's near that bar, and you have to keep it on the arrow by hitting the A button to fill it up a little bit, but the arrow moves around. Mm. So instead of hitting a button every time you get close to the arrow, you have to mash the button to keep your bar close to the arrow, which I like more than the last game, but it's still not great. Yeah. And then after you do that for a little while, the sword cools down and you have to heat it up again. Or something. It's a weird process. But basically, there's a second part of the minigame where you have to hit the sword with a hammer. And that one is the same as the last game, where you just... The meter, like, goes down and you hit the A button when it gets near the arrow. Okay. It's not great. <laughs> yeah. It's cool that this and Boktai 1 have, like, sort of minigames that, if you do well in, will help you in the main game, but are mostly optional. Yeah, I just really wish the special effects were tied to the sword and not its quality because yeah. that would be really fun if you could use those but you just can't if you aren't really good at that minigame. Yeah, that is that is kind of, I mean that just sucks. Like, it, it does require that you're excellent at the game in order to benefit from the main feature of the whole synthesis, like, concept. Right. I do like the idea of using the accessories to forge the weapons, though, because Weapons dropping in the last game felt a little weird because you just had, like, 13 Gladius swords, and it was like, what do I do with all these? <laughs> yeah. And you you actually needed two different kinds of weapons to forge them together. You couldn't take two Gladiuses and put them together. It just wouldn't work. But Damn. in this game, you can... If you're gonna get an enemy to drop, like, three bracelets, all three of those can be dumped into the same sword, and you can just upgrade it three times, which feels a lot better. And it also just makes more sense that enemies would drop accessories than weapons that they clearly aren't using. Yeah. But I think that's pretty much all of the changes to the mechanics of this game. Well, something that is worth mentioning, you drag your coffin much faster. I don't think you actually drag it faster. I think that you drag it as if your speed stat was at the middle of the <laughs> bar in the last game. Yeah. Because I was dragging my coffin pretty quick in Boktai 2, but you didn't upgrade your speed at all. Yeah, at base speed compared to Boktai 3, Boktai 3 is much faster. It's like double yeah. the speed even. Yeah, but like I said, I think that's just because you didn't upgrade your speed stat at all. Because I was upgrading yeah. mine the whole time and I found the coffin much easier to drag into than I did in 1. Oh, I, I guess another thing worth mentioning is you sort of get a run button. You get this in the in Boktai 2 as well. It's just a spell that makes you dash, but you can only use it while the sun is on, and this game overheats way faster. Oh, yeah. So it's it's a little weird. But yeah, I found myself just mashing the L button with the speed spell equipped the entire game. <laughs> yeah. But again, I didn't have to do that in Boktai 2 because I had been boosting my speed stat the whole time, so I just moved at a pretty reasonable pace. Yeah. Do you guys want to move on to the motorcycle? Yeah, I was going to say, tell me about the motorcycle 
So in this game, you only have one coffin, the coffin shop is gone, but the coffin shop man says, Hey, I built this new vector coffin, and then it transforms into a motorcycle, and you have to drive it to the dungeons that you go to. <laughs> so the first time you go to a dungeon, you don't just go there, you have to drive through a little course, and if you beat the course, you go to the dungeon, and then back at the town, you can play that course whenever you want. And after the first time you beat a course, you don't have to ever do it again if you don't want to. But when you go back to play those courses, and you do well on them, you get these points, and you can spend those to get random little, kind of like almost a gacha system of parts from another coffin from Boktai 2. <laughs> yeah, a talking coffin. Yeah, a talking coffin will sell you parts, and you have a random chance of getting different ones. And then you can basically modify your motorcycle with these parts and try to get really good scores on the courses, and it's based on time and whether or not you take damage. And it's just one of those kind of generic, like, you are moving along a path left to right, and you can hold a button to speed up, and you can hit another button to boost and spend sun power. And you just kind of have to avoid obstacles by moving up and down along the road. But I found it pretty satisfying to get good at, especially since there's a lot of fine-tuning you can do with the different parts you can equip. Because I think you've got four different parts plus options which are like accessories basically for your bike yeah you've got a weapon a body tires and there's something else right it's a weapon body tires oh i don't remember yeah it's weapon body tires and special and special is just like you hit the a button and something happens oh, so for yeah. example i always use the special mine because that's the only way i found that you can attack behind you easily mm-hmm so I would drop mines on the enemies that come from the left. But the weapon is like a bullet that you shoot, and you can have it do different things. Like there's one that you unlock that makes them shoot like in front of you and then curve downwards. And those are kind of fun for like hitting enemies that come up close to you. And you can also get a bullet where you charge it and it fires a piercing shot, so it'll break through obstacles and enemies and deal a lot of damage. And then the different bodies have different numbers of slots for options. Which do stuff like your meter will fill up faster, the sun meter will fill up faster, or the sun meter will not take up as much when you boost, or you recover energy during the fight, stuff like that. Or not the fight, but the race, I guess. So, like, I got a body that could equip four parts at once, and that was pretty fun because I could do a bunch of these different weird effects. And the tires just kind of determine how fast you go and whether or not you can move quickly over certain obstacles. Yeah. But overall, it's a pretty fun system, and most of the parts that you equip change the visual look of your bike. It's yeah. not just under-the-hood stuff, so it's really fun to get a bunch of these cool different bike looks going on. I really like the way the chain tires look. Yeah, they look pretty cool. Steven, last time he was playing, he was like showing us how his motorcycle looked, and it looked like excellent, and very different from mine, because he just had parts that I didn't unlock. Also, if you do really well on most of the races, if you get an S rank on them, you'll unlock different colors for your bike, so you can palette swap it. Yeah. And then there are special courses, and if you beat those, you get interesting options for your bike. So it's a really fun system that kind of rewards you for doing it, and it's just, if you like simple racing games, it's, it feels really rewarding. So I guess my problem with the motorcycle sort of minigame is that outside of its own system like it's sort of a it's a closed system where yeah. you can you can get parts 
in the main game for the motorcycle, but doing well in the motorcycle game doesn't do anything for the main game. It just feeds back into itself. It kind of does. If you spend those points on the little talking coffin guy, after you get a certain number of things, I think it pulls the parts out of the pool, but also in that pool are items. So for example, if you give him like 600 bike points, you can get an auto-revive card, which is like, oh, if you die, instead of going to the dark loans okay. menu, it just revives you to full health. Yeah. But it would take so long that unless you already enjoy it that much, it's just not worth doing. And at that point, like, I was just save-scumming to try and get the parts and ignoring <laughs> the items. So, yeah, it's a little counterintuitive. But yeah, I mean, I do wish, because the the weapon upgrade minigame is to, to forge new weapons and to get more powerful weapons and to enchant them. But this minigame is just kind of for its own sake. Yeah. And so it kind of it kind of feels weird that it doesn't connect back to the main game the way the the forging minigame does. Yeah, at a certain point, I really like racing games. I don't know if that's become clear over the course of the podcast. But I found myself playing Boktai 3 to unlock motorcycle parts for the minigame. So it almost feels like the minigame should have been the bigger deal. Yeah. And there should have just been, like, a weird RPG attached to it. Like, that's almost how they designed it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, having played the minigame, I don't agree at all that that should have been the focus. Well, no, you just don't like the minigame, but, like, yeah. you can you can see that... We're, we're about to talk about, like, a couple systems this game has, like, puzzles and missions. And each of those, like, most of the things you can do that are optional in this game either get you cards to boost your stats... Or they get you parts for the motorcycle. Yeah. They don't really get you armor or gear or interesting things for the main game. Those all come from killing enemies. Yeah. Well, well sometimes they give you new weapon frames. Oh, that's true. You're right. You're that's, right. like, not nearly as often as they give you motorcycle parts. Well, and a lot of those frames are just necessary to, like, continue playing the game. Yeah. Well, I guess maybe it's only one, now that I think about it. I got, I got one part in a chest that would just... It was just a noise emitter, and that was really cool. I think that's how it worked in Boktai 1, but the beat mania here is much more useful because the game is designed better. Yeah, and it actually tells you that it is for, like, to to emit sound. Because beat mania in the first game sort of implies that, but I either was dumb or I just lucked out and couldn't figure it out. And it just, I just wasn't fun to experiment with stuff in that game. Yeah. I do want to admit, though, you are totally right that the frames are a lot of the unlocks, so maybe yeah. I'm kind of just like, my brain is fogging over the stuff like that because I didn't use as many of the frames. I had, like, three that I rotated around. I mean, there's a total of 12 in the game, judging by the amount of inventory spaces here. Yeah, I don't think there's many more than that. Yeah, so, like, you know, there are not that many to collect, and, and one of them you need to progress, but I think there's only that one, and the rest are, are found in chests. Yeah, well, you start with one of them also. Yeah, that's true. What did you think of the motorcycle minigame, Charlie? I mean, it was fine. I just kind of saw it as a little distraction from the rest of it, but I didn't, like, pursue the minigames multiple times or whatever. I just... It was just there. Yeah, did you customize your bike very much, or did you just use the default one? I just customized it whenever I got parts, but that's it. Like, you check back in before each dungeon? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Isaiah, did you do customization very much? Yeah, I, I did some... I mean, I sort of, like, whenever I got a new part, I would check it out. Okay, cool. 
And and that was especially like uh, I would do a mission and I would unlock a car, par uh, a motorcycle part, and I'd be like, "What does that do?" And I'd look at it before trying the next mission. Yeah, and I think you guys can both like, even if you weren't super into the mini game itself, you can acknowledge it's pretty cool to have a bike that looks different when you equip different parts. Yeah, and also it's a coffin that transforms into a bike. Yeah, it's pretty fucking cool. <laughs> When I saw that animate, they show you the animation of the coffin transforming into the bike, and every time I see it, I'm like, this is good, I like this. Yeah. What if a vampire just, like, transformed the coffin into the motorcycle and just drove off? Well, I was hoping that, like, there would be a little vampire sidecar, and I could drive through the dungeon in a motorcycle to get the hell out of there faster. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm with that. That that would have been great. Some things never change. Just like a roped up vampire, like on the back of the motorcycle. <laughs> so good. Well, they have this coffin, like, has sort of like a, a window for the face, but they just don't show the face. It's a very cool coffin design. Yeah. I think that little window is also, when it transforms, that's implied to be the headlight on your motorcycle. Ah, that makes a lot I of sense. I think that's the idea. So, Charlie, tell me about the puzzles in this game. What do you think of the puzzles? They're not as good as Boktai 2. They're just kind of little things strung together. Yeah. And, like, I guess the one thing it has going for it, like, I mean, obviously I haven't really done a lot of dungeons in the other games, but, like, they're not just, like, castles or dungeons. Like, the first dungeon is literally an abandoned town. You meet NPCs along the way, and you're yeah. outside a lot more. You're just like going. You're just kind of raiding through people's buildings, like you own the place because everyone left. Right. It's like ransacked by demons. And then the second dungeon is a tree, and then the next one's a mountain. Then it's a pirate ship. It's like something different. Yeah. Because I guess Django has just raided every possible like actual dungeon that he has <laughs> to find something else to go through. <laughs> I like the idea of Django being like actually just a treasure hunter and he's just like ransacking places that people used to live well there are no more tiny dungeons right like there's no more optional small dungeons it's only yeah. the big boys yeah it's completely removed i mean in boktai 2 they sort of wrangled that in really hard and then in this game they almost completely removed the idea of optional dungeons yeah yeah well since you said treasure hunter there is like a new character i guess we could mention oh yeah trinity yeah trinity he's a treasure hunter he wears a pan on his head and wears a poncho. Yeah, he's from the he's from the bad future. He's from bad future Stardust Speedway. Yeah. <laughs> U.S. So Django didn't defeat Metal Sonic and then destroy the the holog hologram to create a good future, and so yeah, Trinity, Trinity is from that place. Showed up. Yeah. Miles Trinity Prower. There's a good bit in the mountain dungeon actually, where you go through a set of like micro puzzles. And then you get to a, a room with two one-time chests, and Trinity's there, and he's like, Ah, are you following me? Alright, you can choose one of these two, and I'll take the other. And whichever one you choose, the one he gets, like, has a trap in it. <laughs> yeah. It also doesn't matter which one you choose, he always gets the trap. Yeah, and, like, the first time through, because there's, like, a few instances of this, and the first time, your item is just, like, a health item. Like, it's not valuable at all, so you went through all of that just for, just to watch a scene where your friend gets hurt. 
Yeah. It's a good friend bit. In, in loose yeah. terms. Yeah, friend, friend in like several quotation marks. <laughs> oh yeah, that area, I forgot, the mountain area is also like the level from Banjo-Tooie, is it Hellfire Peaks or Hailfire Peaks? Hailfire Peaks, are you talking about the Banjo-Tooie level? Yes. I can't remember if they went full on hell or if they went with hell. No, it's Hailfire because it's ice and fire. <laughs> yeah, but this area is like that too. Freeze Flame Galaxy. Yes. It's like an ice region, but there's also an active volcano in that ice region. Yeah. This is pretty neat. I like it when... Did you bring the pizza? Sorry, that's not even... That's just a joke from Banjo-Tooie. <laughs> so... Oh, I thought you were asking someone else, like, in your house. No uh, lie, I actually do smell pizza. Oh, man, I want pizza. So, not only are the, the puzzles kind of weaker in this game, like, just in general, there's just so much less of them. Yeah, well, it's like all... There's no filler, I guess. Yeah. There's still block sliding puzzles, and there's still, like, some ice puzzles, but it's not... Like, it's not nearly as puzzly as I think either of the, the first two games were. It's yeah. This is a lot more, I guess, about the combat. Yeah, it also feels more like just about navigating the dungeon. It's kind of like a Zelda dungeon, I think. Yeah. More so. But if we mostly just have block puzzles and then, like, a couple of maneuver the enemy puzzles. Yeah. But it's a lot of just, like, get the dungeon item and then solve the dungeon with the item, the way that Zelda games are lately. But I even think that the dungeons are so much more linear than in Game 2. You yeah. Know? They, I mean, I think they are really... This is... A, it reminds me a lot of Ocarina of Time. Yeah. Where you get like, oh, it's the boomerang, and then the boomerang just solves everything for the dungeon, and then you walk away, and sometimes you'll use the boomerang again. But I even feel like, like in Boktai 2, the dungeons were, their layout was open, but it was open in a way that you had limited options, and so it, it like, it didn't feel linear even though it was, and in this game, it just is linear. Yeah, I don't super have a problem with it, though. Yeah. It just feels a lot less interesting to me as I'm playing it. You know, and it, it especially, it doesn't feel like I'm familiarizing myself with the level the way I am in Boktai 2. That's for sure. I think the topography in Boktai 2 is a lot more fun. Yeah. But I think the thing that this game has that the other two don't is just that it's kind of streamlined. Yeah. So it's like, I think the dungeons look better. Like, it's kind of fun to progress through the tree because <clears> as you go to each layer, it changes colors. Yeah. And then you get to the top and you kind of, like, explore the, the like, canopy of the tree. Yeah, and I, and I like that every once in a while you'll just go outside and you'll just be on a treetop and the wind will be blowing. And, like, that's the whole thing. Yeah, same with, like, the village, like Charlie said. You get to explore the outside. And there was a village in Boktai too, but it was a lot less lively than this one. Yeah. And we also have, like I said, you've got the, the fire ice place, which is neat. And then there's also the pirate ship. Which, you go on the deck of the pirate ship, and then you explore kind of, like, the the bow and the whatever the bag is called. What is the bag called? The brig? Uh, stern. Oh, the stern, yes. The stern is, like, the top of the bag. Anyway, you explore, like, the outside and the inside of the ship, and then you kind of transition to another ship from one of them, and you go into a cave that they've crashed into and stuff like that. There's a lot more environmental stuff going on than the first game. And I think the second game does a good job of that, too. Yeah. But in this case, it's kind of like you get the map and you can see where the optional rooms are and you can avoid them if you're not interested in the motorcycle, basically. <laughs> yeah. But I agree with you that it's not super interesting to explore those environments. It's just kind of nice to look at them. Yeah. 
but I don't feel like that you're in a dungeon for too long that it gets boring either. So maybe it's like, like you said, there's less content, but I don't think that it's paced any worse. You know, I, I agree with that. It's, I mean, it's it's differently designed content than Boktai 2, and, and Boktai 1 as well, because Boktai 1 was, like, all over the place in its designs. Yeah, it was just, like, puzzles and pounds of items and, like, no real rewards. Yeah, and this game has a lot of great rewards in it. Yeah, like, the, the card items feel good to get and use, and the new frames are interesting, if not useful, and then, yeah. you know, if you like the motorcycle thing at all, the motorcycle parts are fun. I am never upset when I get a card that increases my stats. <laughs> right. Like, I'm like, ooh, a green chest, what is it? I'm better now. Like, we did it. What was your favorite puzzle, Charlie? I don't I can't really remember any of them. Yeah, There's just not... a lot of pushing blocks and... Yeah. Like, I guess it was kind of cool that you had to get the earth lens to make grass grow, but, like, it's just not... Like, even, I can remember one from Boktai 1, but, like, yeah. Boktai 3 is just kind of, like, just go through it. Yeah, just push more blocks. So, Boktai 2 has this very memorable bit where you go into this room and there's a sign that says, like, these four children were born in a certain order and they're going to tell you what order in riddles, but one of them's lying. And so, y you just have to do, like, just an actual written down logic puzzle to figure out which one like what the order that they were born in and then yeah. once you get through that you get to this room that connects to four separate puzzles that you have to solve to progress to the next room and so it's just like five puzzles back to back in a row that are each different and then you get to the place that you're trying to go and in this yeah. it's like all right You've approached a room where there are boxes and there are buttons. Do what you will. Enjoy. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, I will, but I kind of want something more because every, every puzzle in Boktai 2 that wasn't just a block-pushing puzzle, and those block-pushing puzzles were very involved, like, there was a lot of design to them, you know? Yeah, I can't think of, like, any interesting puzzles from this game. Yeah, I almost feel like they feel obligatory in this game. Like, the designers didn't want to put them there, but they had to because it was the legacy of Boktai. Yeah. Even the ice movement puzzles, they were there and then they were gone immediately. They were also like Pokemon ones where it's not fun to solve them. It's just like, hey, here's a cave. Figure it out, bitch. <laughs> yeah. It's like, whoa, game. I, I mean, I can just walk. We could have just had this been a hallway, and it would have been fine. Yeah, and, and, and we'll get to this next episode, but Lunar Nights, which I have played, I remember there just being a huge room that was just ice. Like, oh, it was boy. just the ice puzzle was one large room. And, like, Boktai 3 doesn't have anything that would try to do that. Yeah, I think there's only, like, three ice rooms in general, and they're mostly just... Do you want to get this extra treasure chest that isn't even a green treasure chest? And that's the whole room. <laughs> yeah. And other than that, it's like just push to the right until you eventually get over there in an inconvenient way. Yeah. But the puzzles, what the game lacks in puzzles, I think it makes up for with its mission system. So do you want to go into that, Isaiah? Yeah. So in lieu of individually designed sort of smaller optional dungeons, which I think they're cool, but they take up a lot of sort of time in, in designing them. This game has 
basically a situation where you can replay the main dungeon, but with a different objective than normal. So instead yeah. of getting to the end and defeating the boss, this time it's go through every room in a more streamlined version of the dungeon, like some of the rooms are blocked off, and kill every single enemy. And then once you've done that, go through the dungeon and try to find three goddess statues, which is basically find the hidden thing in the dungeon. Yeah. And they're all marked as treasure chests that you open. Yeah. And then the third mission, which I personally think is the most interesting, is get to the end of the dungeon without ever being spotted. Well, it's actually, I think it's interesting because it's kind of like when you play Mario Kart a lot and you get to the last area, which is like the mirror cup. Because yeah. you don't beat the dungeon, you beat the dungeon backwards. You have to go from the boss room oh, yeah. to the exit without getting caught. That's right. And I like that because it's like, how well do you remember the dungeon backwards? <laughs> yeah. And, and Steven, you sort of mentioned this earlier, that this mission was basically Boktai 1, but with actual rewards and stakes. Yes, exactly. Like, Boktai 1 really wanted to be a stealth game, but there, the systems didn't really encourage it. And this time, they just have a whole mission dedicated to being stealthy, and the punishment was you failed the mission, and the reward was bike unlocks. Yeah, if you get an S rank on any of these, you get a bike part. And if you... It's all based on time. I don't think there's any real scoring system other than time. Mm -hmm. So basically, if you kill all the enemies really fast, you get a bike part. And if you find the three goddess statues in this sort of, like, explore the whole map type deal, you get a bike part. And then if you can get through the stealth mission without being seen at all, and you can do that efficiently, you get a bike part. Yeah. And if you don't get an S rank, you do still get consumables. And... I think the the consumable that, that I got the last few times I didn't get an S rank was a speed nut, which just let me get an S rank the next time I tried. Yeah, it's they, they can be pretty helpful sometimes. You get yeah. some interesting stuff. It's also fun to do the don't get caught mission because it makes you use some of the items that you wouldn't normally use, like the tiptoe nut I oh, never yeah. used during regular gameplay. But because I couldn't be seen by the mummies, it was really fun to use that and sprint through. Oh, yeah. Well, it's especially like... The, just the way you play is totally different, and the fact that you sort of prepare for it ahead of time. Like, this would be a situation where if I had the squeaky boots, I would be removing that. Like, I would probably, right. I would probably give myself the squeaky boots for the eradication mission, and then unequip them for the stealth mission and load up on stealth nuts. Yeah. And, like, maybe you would load up on speed nuts to get through the second part faster to try and yeah. find all the statues and stuff like that. And also, some of the treasure chests in the goddess statue missions are replaced with mimics. And I don't think there are any regular treasure chests during those missions. They're there all are removed. not. Yeah. yeah. So you can use a see-all nut to double-check chests before you open them to make sure they're not mimics, and that'll kind of speed you up a little bit and also keep you from taking that damage. It's, it's really interesting how a lot of those items have very obvious use in regular gameplay, but I feel more encouraged to use them in these specific missions because of the way those missions are organized. Yeah, and it feels like every second counts to get that S rank. Yeah. Which, I love that feeling. That's why I, in Boktai, the first one, I was really enjoying it until I found out that the grades didn't matter at all. Yeah. And then replaying dungeons just felt meaningless. But in this case, it's kind of fun to do it over and over again, and you get a little reward every time, but then when you get that S rank, you run back to the garage and you see the cool new part you got for your motorcycle. Yeah. 
I really enjoyed the mission system, and I think that it gave the game a little bit of longevity that wasn't present in the first one. Yeah, it gives this game replayability, which for the most part, neither of the first two games really had. Yeah, even Boktai 2, which I think we all loved a lot, Yeah, I didn't really see a purpose in going back to the earlier dungeons. Yeah. Pretty much every dungeon was, once, once I got there the first time and got through it, like, I had a great time, but I'm done. I don't need to redo it ever. Yeah, and I think Boktai 2 actually had some kind of a mission system, because I know the library unlocks a mission system eventually, but you have to be, I think maybe it's the second to last dungeon, or even the last dungeon before that shows up. Oh, yeah. Whereas in this game, it's present right away. But I think that Boktai 2 had, like, a similar thing, where you had, like, different things you could go and do in the previous dungeons, but I can't imagine that the rewards you got for them were super amazing, because there's no motorcycle system, and you can already get a bunch of different weapons. So by the time that you get access to that system, I can't imagine that the upgrades to your weapons and gear are that much more important than, yeah, you know, just the regular ones you'd already get. I think that's about it, though. Is there anything else you guys want to talk about? Not particularly. Oh, yes. Uh, Zazzy doesn't it. do a lot, except be a fortune teller. Oh, yeah, she's been reduced to the, where do I go? Yeah. It's really weird to me how the first game had no characters, and then the second game had a lot of characters with really interesting dialogue yeah really interesting dialogue every character pretty much stood out and then the third game was like all right the only characters that matter now are Django and Sabata and then the bosses and to a lesser degree Trinity <laughs> yeah and Trinity's gonna show up a lot but I don't think he's important at all he's just a goof I mean for all we know you get to the end of the game and he's the final boss on the moon by the way, yeah. you're going to that pirate ship to try and get on a spaceship to take you to the moon. I don't know if I mentioned that. Yeah, you did not mention that. That's really That's good. That's the plot thread that I found out about. Was they were like, we need to get a cannon to go to the moon. Let's go to a pirate ship. I like that the second game was, it's just about the town and like saving the town, basically. And so yeah. we're just traveling to areas that are very close to the town. And the third game is like, to the pirate ship, to the moon. <laughs> Well, I also, I think that the cool thing about Boktai 2 is that you're restoring a town. Yeah. So, narratively, you're supposed to want to find villagers, and mechanically finding the villagers unlocks new stuff for you. Yeah. So it's got that cool narrative mechanical synchronization. Yeah. But Boktai 3 feels like the town, like, went on without you and was fine, and you're just going back there to, like, use the people, and you don't yeah. even remember them from the last game, so it feels really like they're here just because they were. Yeah. Like, I don't I don't really find myself wanting to talk to the NPCs in this game as much as I did in Boktai 2, especially with Zazzy. Yeah. Something else is Django is no longer a silent protagonist. Oh, yeah, that really threw me off when he started talking. It threw me off a lot, but I prefer it. He had lines in the previous games, but it was very sparse. He would say, like, yeah, yeah or hello. <laughs> Hi-yo! And in this game, he says... May the sun be with you. Yeah. Well, I mean, he'll, he'll like, actually, there was, like, a scene where he just talks to Trinity. Like, he just yeah. says words. And there will be scenes, like, there was a scene, the, the scene where Trinity opens a chest and gets hurt and leaves. Like, once he's gone, Django just, like, tells a joke to himself. And I'm yeah, like, like, this is normally Otenko's role, is to say something sassy. So it's, like, it's weird that Django is now saying it. But I like that we have a character who's just not silent, but just quiet. 
Yeah, especially after all he's kind of been through. Like, yeah. this guy has been walking around the wastes for a long time, dragging coffins to pile drivers. <laughs> yeah. I can't imagine he has much to say to the layman. I do think the narrative is hampered a lot by the fact that he just gets amnesia for no reason. Like, the only reason is we need to introduce things to the player, and also we need to reset him back to level one, but, like, yeah, but... screw amnesia as a so storytelling device. He didn't even need the amnesia because he was sealed away in a tomb and his vampire blood is obviously not working the same way, so that would make sense as to why he's weaker. Yeah. And also, like, he doesn't... None of the people that you meet in the town matter for the plot. Like, Zazie isn't doing anything for the plot. Yeah. I guess she tells you where you need to go, but, like, frequently you'll be told where you need to go by the bad guy and not by Zazie. Yeah, and also, like, when you look on the map, Wherever you need to go is the thing that now has a name on the map. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, that's not a narrative thing, you know? <laughs> yeah, but, like, you, the player, are never gonna get... You're never gonna not know where to go. Yeah, you can't get lost in this game. It's pretty much just go and do the dungeon that's the one you unlocked. Yeah. So, everyone in the town feels pointless narratively. They're all just there to give you their mechanics. Yeah. And that kind of feels a lot weaker. So what do you guys think? Thumbs up, thumbs down. Boktai 3, Sabata's Counter-Attack. Uh, I'll give it a thumbs up. It's definitely worse than Boktai 2, but it's definitely better than Boktai 1. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I give it a thumbs up. I think that I was almost leaning towards down by the end of the pirate ship mission. Yeah. But then I played the motorcycle minigame a lot. <laughs> and like, man, is it cool when your motorcycle starts to look like a tank with guns on the front. It's, I mean, it's definitely, like, it's not my least favorite Boktai game, but it's it's the one that I weirdly kind of find least interesting just because it's it's so average. It's least interesting until you start riding the motorcycle. Yeah, no, the coffin turns into a motorcycle, which is a, a very cool thing on its own. But, like... I also just like, I like the flavor of driving through the desert to get to dungeons. Yeah, that's true. Like, it's a lot better than the first game where you walked through the desert to get the dungeons. The idea of <laughs> yeah. you driving with Otenko and, like, wearing your goggles. Because you have goggles and you wear them when you're riding your motorcycle. Yeah. And, like, beating up skeletons on motorcycles to get to your dungeon. It's pretty cool. The skeletons are also driving motorcycles. And each of the different courses has a different set of assets for it. So it's like, oh, you're driving through, like, a small forest to get to the big forest. Or, oh, you're driving through the desert to get to the desert town. Yeah. And when you go to the mountain, there's, like, actually ice on the road, and that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's just enough to definitely push this game over the edge on the up. And it might still be an up even without the motorcycle, but I think the motorcycle gives it a sort of personality that would not otherwise be present. I'm a, I'm a thumbs up on it, too. So are you guys pumped for Lunar Nights? I definitely am. I guess. Because before we did this podcast, uh, I really liked that game, and I hope I continue to. But I'm interested to see, like, now knowing sort of everything that I know about the world of Boktai, it's going to really contextualize a lot of things in Lunar Nights. Yeah, it's going to flavor Not the narrative. Bit. That's not going to make sense no matter what happens. <laughs> well, it's in a different universe anyway. Yeah. But, you know, mechanically, I mean, I'm going to be I'm gonna be all over the puzzles. I remember the leveling system mattering a lot more than, certainly more than Boktai 3. Yeah, like, you play as... Two different characters in Lunar yeah. Nights as well, right? And I believe they each have their own, like, stats. So you can level them differently if you want. Yeah. I think they're just Sabata and Django, but they're renamed in the English version. 
<laughs> I could totally see that. But yeah, I because the, the first time I played the game, maybe I should be saying this next episode, but I'm going to say it now anyway. Okay. The, <laughs> the, the first time I played the game uh, and beat it, I just did a build where I, I did only strength, like like I've been doing for these other two games. And after a while, I would just get destroyed because enemies would do so much of my health that I had no defense. And so they would die quickly, but I would die quickly too. And I would just go through health items. And that was the first time I actually had to level up other stats. Yeah. And so, like, I like that a lot more than this game, which just lets me level strength all the time, but it doesn't feel like it's doing anything. Yeah, it seems to me like each of the Bogtai games has made it more and more important to do combat. So I'm assuming that, like, Lunar Knights is going to be mostly combat with, like, occasional puzzles. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, the first game, combat is not rewarded at all, practically. And the second game combat kind of like builds you up for combat <laughs> yeah and in the third game combat is a necessity to get some of the unlockables and there's just a ton of enemies in the game so i'm assuming that like boktai 4 aka lunar knights is going to just be like a hack and slash like diablo style or something <laughs> yeah uh it's it's exciting i actually i don't know if like have you have you guys played any of diablo like diablo two or three i have not I played through the first part of the third game a few times okay so you know what's up with diablo more or less i while i was playing bok tai and bok tai 2 and 3 obviously i kind of started getting this inclination to play diablo 2 again and i found out that it's only ten dollars and you know i don't want to pirate it obviously yeah it would be horrible why would you pirate something this podcast does not endorse piracy or any other illegal thing officially speaking. Right, unless you need to get to the moon. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's the one time you do pirates. But yeah, like, for some reason, Boktai has made me want to play Diablo 2, and I hope that Lunar Knights gives me that fix. Yeah. I also might buy Diablo 2 again. What console on Diablo for Diablo 2? Uh, probably PC. Mm. Where would you buy it? Uh, the Blizzard Store. They're still just selling Diablo 2 on the Blizzard Store. Oh. Incredible. I just I just see the overlay and like Blizzard is like oh here's every modern game that we have and nothing else. Yeah, you can go and get Diablo two and the expansion both for ten dollars. Hmm. Oh man, what if you did Diablo for the podcast? <laughs> All right, uh, have a nice night or day or yeah. whatever it is. Bye. Have a nice five p.m. Yeah. Wait, what about our stuff? What, oh, you can find us on Twitter at no spin zone. You can email us using the Gmail no spin zone at gmail dot com, and you can follow us on Twitch at twitch.tv slash no spin dash zone. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at Isaiah Games. That's I-S-I-A-H Games. Mm, follow me at Draws Charlie. Bye. 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 I had somebody leave a, a voicemail for me recently where they called me Isaiah, so you can follow me <laughs> at, at Isaiah Games. That would be I-S-A-I-H. Hey. <laughs> yeah. I-S-A-I-H-A. Either way, you lose. Yeah, I, I was like, that's, that's close enough. Good night. Good night. Good morning.
We'd like to thank the LAG Radio Network for hosting our show on platforms like SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and lots more. If you enjoyed our show, you can find the rest of what the LAG Radio Network has to offer by searching for the LAG Radio Network on any of these platforms.